Will you join me in prayer? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Like Miss Meredith mentioned, today is Trinity Sunday. No? Okay, cool. Uh, it is the first Sunday after Pentecost, and beginning next week, next Sunday, we will move into what the lectionary calls ordinary times. I find it interesting that we don't just celebrate Pentecost Sunday and move right into ordinary times. No. Instead, there's this Sunday as a transition. Trinity Sunday, a Sunday where we take special notice of the relationship of the triune God in our world. If you are new to church, or I'm already losing you with all of these churchy terms, when we say triune or trinity, we're talking about the three in oneness of God or the understanding of the three equal parts of God, often referred to as Creator, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit. Most every week here in traditional worship, just as we did a few minutes ago, we lift up our voices together and affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed. When we do so, we affirm that we believe in these three uniquely different and intertwined forms of God. Creator, Christ and Spirit. And we believe that each aspect is fully and completely of God. It's complicated. But it's important that we believe we understand that as Christians. We believe in the wholeness of the Trinity. And it would be super nice for me to just grab my Bible and show you this quick definition of the Trinity in Scripture. But it doesn't exist. We don't have it. Instead, throughout Scripture, we get glimpses of God in each of these different forms. Paul, in the New Testament, actually does one of the best jobs at talking about the Trinity without ever really using the word trinity. Paul is uniquely qualified for walking us through these types of heavily theological concepts. If you happen to be with us in modern worship a few weeks back during our Top of the Charts sermon series, you may recall Paul's qualifications. If you weren't, we're going to do a quick refresher because I too have slept since then. Paul did not know Jesus during Jesus' earthly time. Paul only encounters Jesus on the road to D Damascus post-resurrection. And it's then that Paul's life is completely transformed. But Paul does not go straight into ministry life after this transformation. Instead, Paul does a pretty Christ-like thing and goes into the wilderness. Paul spends time in the deserts of Arabia reflecting on how his Jewish faith connects with this life-changing experience he's just had when he met Christ. 
Paul spends time away really studying and examining and developing language for what he believes. Then Paul writes a letter to the church at Rome. It's where we get our book of Romans in the Bible. This letter is written around 58 AD as Paul is doing ministry in Asia Minor, Greece, and along the Mediterranean Sea. The community of believers that Paul writes to in Rome is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. They are a divided people. They're divided over matters of doctrine and practice. You see, the Jewish believers still adhere to their Jewish laws and beliefs. And the Gentiles aren't sure if that sort of stuff is important to Jesus. They're conflicted, too, on where practice falls into the mix. The community in Rome knows they believe in Jesus, but they don't really have the verbiage to back up what they believe. Then you throw in that these are two groups of people with varying backgrounds and beliefs. They're struggling, but they are committed. Paul's letter is intended to help them gain some verbiage for their beliefs. Because Paul didn't rush into ministry, he's really spent time thinking out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That doesn't mean he gets it all perfectly. He is fully human. But it does mean that Paul creates the foundation of how we have come to understand the complexities of the Christian faith. Now, out of all of Paul's New Testament letters, Romans is considered the most theological one, which is interesting because in Romans, Paul is writing to this community of believers that he has never met. While some of the other letters he writes are to churches he formed himself, the church at Rome had nothing to do with Paul. They formed on their own. Paul has actually never even been to Rome by the time this letter is written. And still, it's this letter to the Romans where Paul gives us an in-depth understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. In the fifth chapter of Romans, Paul gives us a glimpse of the Holy Trinity in his own way. Let's read Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Like I mentioned, Paul doesn't really give us a clear, drawn-out understanding of the Trinity. Instead, what we get is Paul outlining three distinctive ways God works in the world in three different forms. We see references to a peace that comes through Jesus Christ, 
a love that comes through the Holy Spirit. And then he gives us some general God language when talking about the glory of God. Now, for most of us here, the intricacies and details of the Trinity may not matter much to us. We're cool believing in something greater than ourselves. I mean, hello, we're all Christians. That's kind of what we're doing here. We don't need to know every detail about God and how God works. We kind of have this whole faith thing. What if today we took a new approach to Trinity Sunday? Instead of focusing solely on the mechanics of the Trinity, because we agree it's complicated, what would it mean for us to consider why Paul uses this language when writing to the Romans? Paul clearly wasn't trying to outlay, outlie some type of theology around the Trinity. So why does he use these ling this language? Why does he use words like Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit and God? And why in the world would the creators of the lectionary pick this text for Trinity Sunday when it doesn't even really say Trinity in it? Remember, this community of believers in Rome is torn. They're trying to follow Jesus together, but they keep bumping heads with each other on matters of doctrine and practice. They're just not sure they can keep swimming in the same direction together. Yet Paul uses the beginning of the fifth chapter to encourage them by using these different forms of God out in the world. Paul tells the church at Rome that they are justified by faith, not by their actions. That they have peace with God through Christ. That they know God's love through the Holy Spirit. Just as God is interconnected in these different forms, the believers in Rome are connected too. Through God, they are all connected to each other. And because of that connection, they're able to keep swimming in the same direction, to keep building the reign of God here on earth. Even though this church in Rome is made up of different people, of different backgrounds and cultures, even though they have different stories and experiences, even though they are of different ages and grew up in different beliefs, they're united by God. In media, on the news, you often hear people say, we live in a more polarized world now than ever before. But as long as I can remember, the world has felt polarizing. Reading about these very first believers at Rome leads me to believe that the world has always been pretty polarized. In Rome, they're living in the wake of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and they're still polarized. 
They're maybe even especially polarized. Polarization has a way of tearing the very fabric of humanity. When we are divided, it's easier to justify hating our enemy or labeling people as having the right or wrong beliefs. When we are already split, it isn't difficult to surround ourselves with people who think like ourselves, who know the same things we know. Yet our evolution since the first believers at Rome shows that these polarizations and these splits never really seem to solve anything. We never all of a sudden become of one mind. We never seem to all be on the same page. When we surround ourselves with those like us, we don't become more right. We sure don't become better than. Instead, we're still split. It's a never-ending cycle that just breeds continuous division. In these first five chapter, verses of the fifth chapter of Romans, Paul does not tell the people to suck up their differences and get along. Paul doesn't say everything will be magical if they learn to listen and build bridges. Instead, Paul starts talking about suffering. He acknowledges the suffering that the people have gone through, the suffering they've gone through individually and communally. He unites them in their suffering and their eventual hope. I'm going to reread verses 3 through 4. Paul writes, and not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Growing up, I played a lot of sports. It started as a toddler in t-ball, and it quickly morphed into soccer and softball and basketball, and of course, my personal favorite, volleyball. There was not a season that I was not in some type of competitive sport. I grew up around coaches and teammates who would say phrases like this, no pain, no gain, or it's not supposed to be easy, stop crying. I cried a lot. Personally, those types of pep talks never worked really well for me. I do believe that you can gain things without there being pain. I also don't think every single thing in life has to be so super hard. Spoiler alert, I think it's okay to cry sometimes. As I read Paul's words about suffering producing character and character producing hope, I got flashbacks to my sports days. The no pain, no gain thinking. But once I shake off that trauma, I'm able to consider what Paul is saying in a different way. Suffering is a part of 
this world. We will all suffer in our lives. It's inevitable. What is not inevitable is what we do with that pain and suffering. Do we allow it to divide us further from the neighbors around us? Or is it possible that the goodness of God can still work even in our suffering, maybe especially in our suffering. When I find myself in difficult moments, when I find myself suffering, I always try to tap in to the presence of the Holy Spirit. I try to remember that I am not alone in my emotions, that I am not alone in this world, that the Holy Spirit is by my side as close as the breath in my lungs. When I am in need of grace, when I need those reminders that I am cherished and worthy, I tap into Jesus. I remember the fully human, fully divine being that gives each of us new life and new life abundantly. When I am outside in nature and I need a reminder that there's more to the world than me, I tap into God the creator. I look around at all the good and beautiful in the world and I'm reminded that we are all connected through the one who created each of us. What if Paul writes this portion of the letter to the Romans to remind them that God is with them in it all? and that they are connected in ways that go beyond what they can see with their eyes. What if we read these words and we don't just focus on the suffering and hurts, but instead we focus on the ways God continues to show up, and we focus on the fact that we are each given the opportunity to decide what to do in moments of pain and suffering? What if on Trinity Sunday, we remember the triune nature of God and we remember the interconnectedness of each of us, especially the ways we are each connected to God? What if our suffering can give way to peace and love. It's up to us. We decide what to do with the pain of the world. The triune nature of God inspires me. It reminds me of the magnitude of God and how God works in ways that I may never fully understand. Suffering, polarization, divisions, they will happen. They happen for the church in Rome. They still happen for us today. And still, we are given an example of real peace and love and hope in the world. It's up to us to decide what we'll do with it. 
Will we take notice of the ways God works in and around us? Will we choose hope in the face of suffering? Will we work together to build a brighter world? It's up to us. The choice is ours.